Well, howdy, New Spring family. I want to look right at the camera and I want to welcome you. I hope you're doing great today on all 14 of our locations. I hope you're fantastic. If you're joining us online, I hope you also are having a great day. Hey, come on, Anderson Campus. Can you help me welcome everybody else around the state and online? So grateful that you're here. Uh, hey, while you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 or you're opening up your app or whatever you're doing there to get ready for this, uh, today's a big day. Uh, September 25th, uh, if you follow the Jewish calendar, it's a brand new year today, but that wasn't what my reference is. Today is my anniversary, y'all. So I just wanted to tell you guys that. My wife was in the first service, and so um, I just have to honor her. She puts up with a whole lot, putting up with me and three youngins. And uh, I've got a picture I wanted to show you guys from 12 years ago on our wedding day. Look at those kiddos right there. And uh, so Corey's serving in Kids Spring right now with our th three kids are back there, but um, it is a privilege and a joy. And so we went to celebrate earlier this weekend. Friday night, we got a babysitter. We went to eat at 5.30 p.m. And then we were so pumped that that babysitter was still with our kids. It was our, uh, my mother-in-law, actually, that we decided we're going to go to Costco. Because we are full-on adults, y'all, and that's what you do on a date on your anniversary when you've been married 12 years. Can I get an amen from a married person in the room? And so uh, uh, being married is a joy. Before I jump into the text, i got to chase a little bit of a rabbit. Young men, you need, you need to get married. You hear me? All right, don't listen. Don't listen to the world putting it off and waiting until you're 40, 50 to get married. You need to get married. My, one of my greatest regrets is that I did not propose to my wife earlier. Marriage is awesome. Being married is incredible. And if you find a gal that loves Jesus and loves you, will put up with you, you need to go save up for a ring, get to our budgeting class, we'll help you do that. And you need to propose and you need to get married because you know what? Life is hard. You might as well do hard things with somebody you love. Amen, men. Come on. And I'm telling you, we don't need a bunch of little boys running around in this world. We need some married men. And I heard a long time ago, men run straighter and smoother like a truck with a load. So go ahead and get married. All right? Get married. Have some kids. Raise a family. Make a difference for the kingdom of God. In addition to that, I'm, I'm going on another one right here, okay? If you're considering marriage, you're dating, maybe you're engaged, maybe you're in college, We've got fantastic premarital counseling here, resources available. One of the very best things in the world you can do is to say yes to doing that right here. I tell young couples all the time that are considering marriage and maybe they're a little, got a little fear in their heart because maybe they didn't come from a great marriage, home or whatever. It's a cheat code. The church is God's life hack for raising great families and being great married people. Nobody is perfect, but you're in the very best place you can be to have a strong marriage when you're in the local church. So if you're considering marriage, help, help yourself out in the future by leaning in to the resources we have here. And everybody said, amen, amen. One last thing, because somebody's going to ask me, where did you and Corey meet? Tell the story about where y'all met. You know where we met, y'all? We met right here at New Spring Church. I'm trying to tell y'all. She was serving as a college student, 19-year-old sophomore, in the nursery. And I knew about her from other friends. We had mutual friends. But the next thing you know, I'm the youth pastor at the time. I see this 19-year-old girl from Clemson, South Carolina, serving babies at the early service. And I said, that's the kind of gal I want to be with for the rest of my days. So Somebody needs to sign up for Connect and start serving. You're going to meet your spouse. You didn't even know it, all right? Okay, y'all. Hey, are y'all ready for the Word of God today? If you are, say, I'm ready. 
All right. Well, I was uh, honored last week to be down with my Northeast Columbia fam. So what's up, Northeast Columbia? It was an encouragement. Pastor Dan brought a great word last week, did he not? On uh, chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we turn the page. We are starting chapter six, and I'm going to read 18 verses. If you love the Bible, say, I love it. All right, you're with me, 1115. Let's read it together. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse one of chapter six. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father God, these are your words. We've read them, so now we ask God that they would read us. Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you spur us on to loving good deeds, Lord? I pray that you would be glorified in the next few moments. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' longest recorded sermon in the entire scripture. We've been talking about it for the last six weeks. This is week seven. And so in chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins telling people about a new kingdom. And he shows very clearly that he is the king of that kingdom and he invites people in to become the people of the kingdom. And we've been talking about this for the last several weeks. One of the features that I wanna make sure we get a hold of today because we're gonna have to utilize it is that before Jesus actually begins his sermon, he's telling people about the idea of repentance. 
he, he comes along and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we've been saying this, I want you to jot this down. What repentance is, repentance is very simply just getting heaven's view of a matter. So repentance, quite literally, is saying, I don't want my view, I want, I want God's view. I want heaven's view of the matter. And repentance, and this is just the enemy's plan, the enemy has tried to make repentance something that we reject, but I want you to know repentance is a good gift. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that God would allow us to change our minds to get heaven's view on the matter. And we've been talking about this the last several weeks in some really practical ways. Today, Jesus is going to kind of get into the basics. This is like Christianity 101, foundational level stuff. And I just want to point something out because in this text, we see a very unique paradox. What I mean by that is right before this in chapter 5, and if you've been here the last several weeks, you've heard us refer to this, Jesus is telling his people, the ones that are going to be a part of his kingdom, that they're going to be distinct, that they're going to shine bright in a dark world, that they're going to be distinct and taste flavorful like salt in a bland world that they're going to literally be like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's telling them that they're going to be put on display, that, that the world is going to see their lives individually and collectively and wonder what in the world happened. What are they, what are they doing? What, what, what are they believing? Who are they following? Why do they live that way? One of the greatest truths of the Scripture is that those of us that follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will, look at, look at me, will live lives that demand an explanation. That comes from chapter five. We're gonna live a life that demands explanation. People are gonna have to have some kind of explanation for why you live like that, why you talk to your spouse like that, why you raise your kids like that. How come you treat your coworkers that way? How come you don't talk about your boss that way? How come you don't forward that email like everybody else? How come your life is that way because you're following Jesus? It's gonna be distinct it's going to be on display. It's going to shine bright. So that's chapter 5. Then we open up chapter 6, and Jesus, who just said, you're going to be put on display. People are going to notice you. He says, but the secret is they can't notice you. You're going to live a life on display, but the secret is you need to do some things that nobody sees at all. You're going to live a life that cannot be denied, it cannot be hidden, and the way you do it, the engine room of that kind of life is that you're going to do things in spaces and places that no one knows about but your Father who is in heaven. So I want to do today is give you three observations real quick and then three applications for us to take home that I believe is going to help us move the kingdom of God forward. Uh, first three observations. Number one observation is this. When Jesus preached this word that day, he didn't put it out there like it was an option. He just assumed everyone was gonna be giving, fasting, and praying. Did you notice that? Go look at the text, but he doesn't say, hey, if you decide to give or if you decide to pray or if you decide to fast, he says very much taking for granted that everyone who's following him would do that. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, and I'm up here just confessing before everyone, don't let shame heap up on you because this is, this is difficult for all of us. Listen to me, and a little bit of that is the point. Jesus wants us to trust him, and when we pray, when we give, and when we fast, we are declaring to the world that we don't put our trust in the things that the world puts their trust in. We put our trust in an unseen realm, in an unseen king who's building an unseen kingdom, amen? That's the first observation. The second one is he points out three times 
that there is a secret life to a Christian. That those that follow Jesus Christ are going to do some things in secret that are going to be that are going to be really powerful. Like I said a moment ago, this is the engine room of the kingdom life. The secret life is the engine room of the kingdom life. That there is a secret space that moves things in heavenly realms. That there is a secret space that moves things in generations to come. That there's a secret space that you can leverage, that you can make work for you, that's going to make a difference in your grandkids and in your community and in your space that you work and live, but you've got to trust Jesus, the king, to pursue him in the secret space. That's the second observation. The third observation is one that I've got to do a little bit of work on. The third one is three times in this text, he talks about one of the reasons that we would say yes to the secret space, the secret life, is because we have a father who sees what we do in secret. And what does he say three times? He will see what you do in secret and he will reward you. Reward you. Everybody say reward on three. One, two, three. Reward. Now, I grew up in church, I grew up in a Protestant context, probably like many of you, and one of the things that Protestants are so good about is making sure that all of us know that it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Y'all heard that before, Ephesians chapter 2? And so one of the things that happens there is people have a really good understanding of soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. It's not because of my works, it's because of Jesus' finished work, like Pastor Dan said last week. It's incredible that, that it doesn't matter if I'm good or bad. It doesn't matter what I do or don't do, that I am saved only because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, and that's good news. But one of the things that gets missed so often that I believe that God wants to give you today is a doctrine of reward. Because Jesus, over and over and over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he uses reward as a motivator. He tells us very clearly, he doesn't mince any words, that one of the reasons that you would trust him in this is because he's got rewards for you. In one of the places in the scriptures, he literally says, nobody has left home or job or family or friends to say yes to following me that I will not reward 100x, tenfold, 100x in the future. And so the real question is, do we trust Jesus to put some of these things into action because he wants to reward you? We have a God that wants to reward, but we've got to make sure we understand that we don't just get saved when we were 13 or saved when we were 20, live however we want to live for the rest of our lives and cash in on my get out of hell free card in eternity. One of the reasons that Satan is described as a thief is because so many people are going to have the eternal rewards stolen from them because they did not catch this doctrine of reward. God wants to reward you, and he's going to look and see what you and I are doing in secret. Everybody with me on this? He wants to. He says it right here in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants to reward what you do in giving, fasting, and praying. He wants to reward you when it comes to your practices of righteousness. Now, Here's three applications that I want to put before you that you can take and apply this week. They're eternally valuable and immediately practical. Number one is this. Kingdom people, they embrace the idea of developing in the dark. Based on this text, one of the things that Jesus says is that kingdom people, those that trust him, are going to embrace the idea of developing in the dark. They're going to develop in the spaces that no one sees. He says here that they're going to be in the secret place giving fasting, and praying, but there's a whole lot of other things that we can do in the dark, is there not? 
There's a whole lot of other things that people do in the dark where they think nobody else is going to notice. Is there not? Come on, parents. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, uh, I don't want to go too far here, but my wife, we've got our, our three-year-old. He's, he is doing a fantastic job of giving his parents a raise. What I mean by that is he is getting potty trained, y'all. Uh, he's, he knows when he needs to number one. He knows when he needs to number two. And he's doing a great job. And so he makes an announcement. I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to go to the bathroom. So I'm at work last week, and my wife tells me that he had to do number two. And so he, i got to go to the bathroom. Okay, buddy, let's go. Let's get you there. He goes to the bathroom. He, he's in this place, and and. You know, I know one day this is going to not be the case, but right now it is. I'm all done. I'm all done. And then you and your spouse look at each other like, who's, whose turn is it, right? right? Whose turn is it? Who's going to get him today, right? Uh, I just candor, I, try to, I really do. I try, to, I try to go first because my wife's home with him, okay? So I try to go first if we're both home. But at this moment, my wife was home, and uh, I'm done, I'm done. And he had, he had um, gotten up, and so she's wiping his bottom, and then she goes back to the, to the bathroom, and she's like, there's nothing in the toilet, son. He's in one of these little kitty toilets. Nothing in the toilet, son. Nothing in the toilet, son. What, what happened in the dark that nobody saw in the light, son? So we still have no idea where it is. So I'm just telling you that. I have, to, I have no idea. Okay, so it, it could be anywhere. Just pray for us, okay? There's a surprise somewhere in our home. I don't know. What's done in the dark will be brought to the light. I'm claiming that verse. Okay. Um, but, but how, I mean, that's a funny thing when you're raising kids, but how real is that when it comes to our lives? We do all kinds of stuff that nobody sees, but what Jesus is saying, if you'll pay attention, that doesn't have to be a negative. You don't have to be scared of those things coming to the light. You can actually make this work in Jesus' name for the benefit of the kingdom. That you can do things in the dark that are going to impact things in the future in a way that will absolutely manifest, Jesus says. He, he wants to set us up as a city on a hill, a people that cannot be hidden. So we are going to be a people that embrace developing in the dark. Uh, where does this idea come from? Well, Jesus, this is a little bit of a, a pop quiz. Okay, Anderson Campus, you got to answer on behalf of everybody else. How many years did Jesus Christ live on earth? How many years did Jesus Christ live on earth? Somebody answer. 33. Okay, I heard you, Kelsey. Uh, balcony, I heard somebody shout up there. 33. Okay, now next question, next question. How old was Jesus when he started his public ministry, when he was baptized right here? 30. Okay, Brother Bradbury answered. Okay, he, 30 years old. So, okay, now mathematicians. You don't have to be a Bible scholar here. What percentage is 30 of 33? Anybody know? 30. Of 33, it's not so clean and easy, is it? 90%, yes, all right, well done, young man. I'll get your name after the service. Uh, I don't know it, all right. 90%, okay, so here's my point. Listen to me. Jesus spent 90% of his time, and the Bible doesn't talk about it anywhere. You ever notice this? We see Jesus born at Christmas time, we talk about it, and then we see Jesus at 30, and the gospel tells us about the three years of his public in the light ministry, but 90% of Jesus' life was lived in hidden darkness. The only glimpse we get is in the Gospel of Luke, just for a moment when he goes to the temple with mom and dad, 12 years of age, he gets left there, right? And then that, that's the only glimpse we get. Nothing else. We don't see his awkward prepubescent puberty state. You ever thought about that? Jesus went through puberty? Kind of wild, isn't it? We, we don't see him as a teenager, we don't see him working with his dad. We don't, we don't get any of that. None of that's there. 
Why? Why? Well, I believe one of the reasons is because God wants to lead by example for you and me in saying you can develop in the dark. The things you do in the dark will be brought to the light. And Jesus, we're told in Luke chapter 12, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and man. And what I believe that God wants us to do is the same. In the kingdom of God, he wants us to trust that in the spaces where nobody else sees, that we're, we're pursuing the word of God, we're pursuing the things of God, and that he is going to grow us in that space so that we might be one day trusted with some things that he wants to put on display in our lives. Maybe it's in, in our example to our kids. Maybe it's with our coworkers. Maybe it's leadership spaces. or may, Who knows what it is, but he wants us to develop in the dark, and he's invited us into that. Now, uh, if you're under 30, I think we've got a challenge here, okay? Um, if you're a boomer here, maybe even a Gen Xer, you, might not, you may not actually struggle with this, but if you're under 30, millennials and those under 30, we've got a challenge here because we've grown up in a social media digital world. And one of the things that I think we've got to recognize is um, we, maybe this isn't you, I just might happen to know a couple of people. I know when my friends that I follow on social media have a quiet time. You know why I know they have a quiet time? Because they're going to put it on Instagram. When's the last time you read your Bible and didn't tell the world? I mean, I know that's funny. And listen, I put my Bible on Instagram too, okay? I'm not, there's, I'm not demonizing that. I'm just saying if we only show people the word of God when we're trying to project it into the light, then we are not going to be the kind of people that God can entrust with kingdom stuff. He's invited us to develop in the dark. He's invited us into that space to grow strong in that place so that we might be displayed in the light. Uh, that's... Point number one. Point number two is this. Kingdom people choose private practice over public performance. I know that's alliteration, but I, I chose those words public performance on purpose. Because three times in this text, Jesus uses a word that you don't have to go to church or grow up in church to know. It's the word hypocrite. Would you all do me a favor and say hypocrite on three? One, two, three. Hypocrite. Y'all heard that word before? All right, I want, I want everybody on three to point at hypocrite. One, two, three. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Why'd you point at me? Okay, all right. No, no but the, here's the truth. That's a pejorative, negative word that we hear a lot around church world, that they're, they're hypocrites or that person's a hypocrite. But, but that's not what the word hypocrite meant from its origin. The word hypocrite meant the same word then as the word actor does to us today. This was a Greco-Roman word that, that Jesus was borrowing from Greco-Roman culture where they had huge theaters in the cities. And one of the markers of a Greco-Roman city was the theater where they'd have comedies and they'd have tragedies and they'd have all these actors that would wear masks and they would play their parts and they were, they were known people. So it would be like the Tom Hanks of our day or the, the Sandra Bullock or the Denzel Washington or the Samuel L. Jackson when he's not shooting credit card commercials. All of those things, okay? All right? They're, they're actors and they were known. And what Jesus does here is he says, listen, the people of my kingdom, they're not going to be just acting. They're going to they're do some things in private. They're going to privately practice some things. They're not just trying to publicly perform them. And so he wanted to make sure we understood that he's trying to set you and I up for success. He's not trying to hold us back. What he doesn't want us to do is be people that are exposed in our life when the truth comes out. And just as candidly as I can say this with a microphone on my face, with the title of pastor on my, my title, 
one of the problems with the American church is we have not heeded the words of Jesus and we want to practice our righteousness in public spaces, but we don't actually have the personal integrity and character to hold it up. And today is God's grace to us that we take Jesus' words seriously and we get back into the place of private practice of righteousness. Amen? You see, we don't have to be just in the church to see this, but this is why politicians and leaders in business and leaders in the church, they're constantly, there's these scandals and there's these things that are going on in the Western church and the American church, and people are are using that to not trust Jesus. But Jesus said from the very beginning, the ethos of my kingdom is going to be a people that do things that nobody sees so they can get strong there. They're not going to be hungering for public performance. And so maybe today God's invitation to you is, hey, stop performing. If the only time you do anything related to Jesus is on a Sunday morning at church so that you can maybe sell more real estate this week in the office, stop performing. If the only time that you want to put on display that you're a Christ follower is, that there's just a weight there, is, is on a Sunday where the, the, the world can see you. Because, I mean, still in the southeast, it's still something that people will applaud about. Oh, I see, they're a good man. She's a good woman. They go to church. Oh, they're good kids. They go to church. And listen, you need to be here. That's a, but I'm just saying, don't just allow that to be the public display of your relationship with Christ. We want to invite you in as a church into an everyday relationship with Jesus. One that, of course, is experienced on a, on a Sunday when you're gathering with the believers, but that's powerful on a Monday and a Tuesday when you're doing whatever God's called you to do in your vocational life or at your school or wherever God finds you. Leverage the fact that Jesus has invited us into a, a private effort to build his kingdom inside of us. Now, he uses this word, practice your righteousness, three times. Now, uh, when I use the word practice, I always think of that old Allen Iverson interview. Practice? What, what are you talking about, practice? And that's a little bit of this essence, okay? Is He's invited us into practice. He's not invited us into perfection. He said, you're going to practice your righteousness. Mom and dad, y'all know about practice right now? we got the soccer games, we got the football games, we got the cheerleading practice, the band practice, the piano practice, 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 practice. Uh, I was yesterday at like a, a little peewee football deal. My daughters were uh, dressed up and they were being like, um, uh, like the, you know, the escorts at the peewee football thing. And these parents are out there all the time, practice, 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 practice. Sports is a place where we get and understand practice. Music and being a performer at an instrument is a place we understand practice. Jesus has invited us into places where nobody else sees to practice following him. I uh, was talking to a couple of buddies this week that are in, engaged in some crazy practice. We've got crazy people at New Spring Church. Did y'all know that? Crazy people. The kind of crazy I'm talking about is I know two guys right now at New Spring Church at two different campuses that are practicing to run a 100-mile ultra marathon. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. Like, I mean, you know, 5K is one thing, half marathon, marathon. And These guys have both already done Ironman, and now they're training for a 100-mile ultra marathon. And their practice right now is running 35 and 40 miles at a time. Practicing. Nobody's seeing it. Nobody's handing them water as they come by. Nobody's cheering them on. It's just them in the dark and maybe a couple of buddies that are running with them practicing. And I just want to say that's a picture of the Christian life is that God's called us into practicing, practicing following him. 
uh, was talking to one of these guys specifically this week, and it's his second round at this. He's a part of our Spartanburg campus. He actually plays in the worship team over there. And the reason he's doing this again, I said, what in the world, why are you doing this again? He said, it's because I DNF'd last time. DNF, what's that? Did not finish. What happened? Well, um, about the 70-mile mark, my, my, all my nails on my feet are gone. It's like two and a half, two, two and a half or I mean, two-thirds of my toenails are gone. And uh, at mile 87, I kept telling myself I could go, but my body was saying, you ain't going nowhere. And so at mile 87, he DNF'd in his last ultra marathon. And he says, as they're carrying me off, all I can think about is, oh, no, I've got to train for another one because I didn't finish this one. <laughs> Practice. And here's one of the points he made when I was talking to him about it. I think it'll be helpful. He said, in that moment, it didn't matter how much I wanted to try to finish. Trying wasn't going to get me there. My training is what let me down. And one of the things we've got to recognize as people of God, we've got to stop trying to be good Christians. And the Lord has invited us in in this text to train to be followers of Jesus. And there is a training. It's not just about trying to do the right thing at the right moment in time. Christ has invited us into training with him, into holy habits and spiritual disciplines. And, and I just want you to know that that's not opposed to grace. That's a part of what grace does. I love the way that Pastor Dallas Willard said this years ago. This quote will be up on the screen. It's a fantastic quote about what grace does in our lives. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning, however. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Amen? So what grace will do, he's saying here, is it'll cause you to want to be more like Christ. If you've experienced the forgiveness, if you've experienced the, the, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, one of the things you're going to start noticing is it's going to draw you like an undertow towards the things of God, to becoming more like Jesus, to taking on his attitudes. And one of those attitudes is that you're going to develop in the dark. You're going you're to practice your righteousness in spaces that no one else sees, but God is going to use what he grows there in order to increase his kingdom. Which brings me to point number three. Point number three is very simply this. Kingdom people, they focus on better before bigger. They focus on better before bigger. Um, this is actually a really famous statement, better before bigger. It, it became famous back in the 90s in a, in a small business context, one that maybe you'll know. Um, there's a small restaurant that has its origin in the south side of Atlanta and it's really popular these days. Here's their logo. Anybody know that place? Yeah. Um, well, back in the 90s, early 90s, they, they were actually wrestling with something. They had to make a decision about. You see, Chick-fil-A historically, um, they, they say this. They're, they're not a Christian organization, they say. But they, they lead and build their, their organization with Christian principles. It's pretty, pretty subversive. I, I love this about them. And in the 90s, they, they were seeing some really cool growth and they're, they're, you know, if you're kind of into banking and accounting, their, their P&L sheet looked great, profit and loss. They had some really good cash flow. And they'd always extended their business based on cash flow. They, they had never really leaned into debt to build their business. But all of a sudden, they had competition for the first time in a long time. You see, McDonald's and Burger King and all those places that, that sell burgers, they weren't their competition. But another chicken store showed up on the map 
maybe you know it. It's called Boston Market. Anybody know Boston Market? Well, Boston Market, if you don't know it, it's kind of like uh, uh, if Chick-fil-A went on a diet. Or I'm sorry, excuse me, if Kentucky Fried Chicken went on a diet, okay? Roasted chicken, vegetables, um, that kind of deal. Uh, we had a, one of these in my hometown. I've heard that there were several of those in the state of South Carolina. But Boston Market was actually doing something different. They were trying to leverage debt, and they went to the bank, and they started buying up property and building restaurants all over the country and it started to impact Chick-fil-A's bottom line. They started to see that there's competition in the chicken business. And so they had a decision to make. Boston Market's getting to town before we are. Boston Market's extending to all these markets that we're not in. We should, we're, we're doing fine. We got good cash flow. We got, we got good numbers. We should extend our debt and go into spaces and make sure we beat Boston Market to the market. So they're arguing about this in the boardroom down in Atlanta for like two hours. The legend goes that the old statesman, Truett Cathy, at this point he's kind of up in his years. He just comes to some of these meetings from time to time. And he's been sitting back at the corner of the conference table just listening to all the marketers and the salespeople argue about data and what they should do. And after about two hours, uh, the story goes that Truett Cathy slams his hand on the table to get everybody's attention. And the place goes quiet. True Kathy leans in and, and says, you know, we've been doing this a long time. And one of the things that I've always seen work is that we don't need to focus on getting bigger. We need to focus on getting better. Because if we as a restaurant get better, the customer will demand that we get bigger. But if we as a restaurant try to just get bigger, we're going to miss all the things that we did to get to this point better before bigger. And the whole room got quiet. A couple of young junior members wrote that down, better before bigger, true it said so. And so they've been doing better before bigger for 30-something years. Show of hands today, how many of you this week ate at a Boston market? I think I hear Jiminy Cricket in the back corner of the Anderson campus. I don't know what your campus is like, but not a soul raised their hand. Show of hands today, how many of you ate, just in the last seven days, a Chick-fil-A product? Show of hands. That's more than the 9 o'clock, okay? That's like 100% of us. Now, you can't eat any today because it's Sunday and they're leading their organization on Christian principles, hello. But let that speak to us, that they made a decision 30-something years ago that changed the outcome of the future. There's actually climbing numbers of Chick-fil-A all over the country, nearly 3,000 Chick-fil-A actual restaurant locations. They saw during COVID their very best years as a business ever. And by the way, Boston Market still does exist. You just got to find them on Google Maps because they don't, don't exist in the state of South Carolina anywhere. And their numbers are going the other way. I want to recommend to you something today. Would you trust the Word of God that He's invited you to develop in the dark to make some decisions today or to reaffirm some decisions today that he's going to use to, in your private spaces of discipleship and following him, he's going to use to put on public display when he's ready to put you on display, not when you're ready to put yourself on display. And would you commit to quality over quantity? Would you commit to being better before bigger? Side note, look at me in the eyes. This is the problem with the American church right now. 
It's because we got a whole lot of people that want to get out there and tell everybody they're a Christian. Watch me, follow me. I want to be a Christian influencer, etc., etc. And there's this, and even if it's not that obvious, there is this unction that I just want to warn us of as a church and say, don't give in to that. Don't give in to the applause of man when you've got the applause of God. Meet him in the secret place and trust that he will put on display some things in the future. I want to end with a question. Can I invite you all to your feet before I ask this question? We're about to enter into a time of response where we get a chance to repent to get heaven's view on the matter. But here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you looking at me? What decision can you make today that in 10 years from now you would look back and be thankful for? 10 years from now, I don't know how old you'll be. 10 years from now, I will be 49. And I want to make some decisions today that the 49-year-old version of me would look back at my life and say, that was a good decision. But my fear is, is that many of us, if we don't take God up on this opportunity to repent, the 10-year-old version of us would look back on our lives today and go, man, you had a chance. Why didn't you take that decision? Why didn't you, why didn't you cut off that, that flirting with that coworker? Why, why, why didn't you stop spending like like that in this time? Why didn't you live by a budget? Why, why, why didn't you commit to raising your kids that way back then? And you're going you're gonna to potentially have regret. I don't want you to have regret. Instead, I want you to have incredible reward and joy because you made a decision today to trust Jesus that developing the dark is the right way, that practicing in private is the right way, and stop living for the accolades of man in, in the public spaces. And let's be a people that are the real deal, authentic, better before bigger, and we'll trust that the kingdom of God will grow in our church as we focus on better because the world will demand that we get bigger. Amen? It'll demand it. And so I want to invite right now uh, to our ministry stations on all of our campuses, we've got some volunteers that would love to serve communion or pray with you. They would, they would love, love, love to lead us in worship. And I just want you to make a plan. What's your response today? As you come to the communion table, Maybe you need to take inventory of, does your life demand explanation? And if not, would you, would you lean into your big brother, King Jesus, who has invited you to follow him in practicing your righteousness in private? Maybe, maybe today you need to recommit to getting back in the word or recommit to getting, to getting back in the, the, the space where you give your first fruits to God, whatever that looks like in your giving or in your serving. or What does it look like today to make some decisions? There's grace on offer. Some of us today, the very best decision we can make is we could give our life to Jesus Christ. You see, everything we've talked about today is true. Jesus did not come for perfect people. He doesn't expect us to clean up in order to, to be his followers. As a matter of fact, it's the only religion in the world that is not intimidated by our brokenness. All the other religions of the world expect us to clean ourselves up to come to God, not Jesus Christ. He came to us because we could not get ourselves together. And he's got his salvation on offer. He's got a new heart on offer. He's got forgiveness for sins on offer. And today, if you want to respond to the good news of Jesus, when everybody begins to move and worship here in just a moment, I just want to call your attention to the cross that's in the room that you're in. You can just respond by walking forward to the cross and putting your name on a a card and saying, Jesus, I want to respond and receive you. We've got volunteers that would love to pray with you and, and they would love to walk with you. We'd love to put our arms around you as a church family. But what is it you need to do today? Because listen to me, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And we're just going to continue to see this same story of so much church and so little change. 
but the opportunity is for us to get heaven's view on the matter. So let's make some decisions in the next few moments, maybe with our spouses or maybe with our kids or maybe with our personal lives that would demand an explanation. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll respond. Is that cool? Let's do it. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for, it's just right down the middle, Christianity 101. You have called us into secret spaces to developing in the dark. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters as they're wrestling over things that they're feeling your Holy Spirit prompt them into. And so as we worship you, as we receive communion today, as we, as we pray for things in our homes and in our lives or for that wayward child or for that financial uh, thing at work that we need, to, we need to see breakthrough in, whatever it might be, God, we trust you. We place you on the throne of our heart. We, we say you are what it's all about, King Jesus. And so would you reestablish yourself today in our hearts, every single one of us, and we, we're so grateful for your goodness we worship you now as we respond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.